I'm Ken Canera, and this is Beyond Consulting, the only podcast focused on your career, health, and wealth after consulting. This week, I welcome a good friend of mine, Rabia Elchar, the co-founder of Nadira. Rabia, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Ken. I'm very, very happy to be here and very happy to be chatting with you. Likewise, likewise. I think they should know is that it's probably been more than 10 years since we last spoke, but Rabia and I are good friends from the Middle East, where I used to work with him at Booz & Company. But Rabia, our listeners probably don't want to hear too much about that. I think they want to hear about your story. Tell us a little bit about your career and what's brought you to Nadira. Of course. Fantastic. So let me just bit, take you a bit about a history about how I started in consulting. I started after MBA. I was a petroleum engineer in Canada for several years and then decided to go and do my MBA at INSEAD. So I joined consulting post-MBA as a junior manager and then progressed in that until I got hired by a client. I did that for a few years and then came back to consulting. And then around 2019, end of it, just before COVID, uh, decided to do something different. Consulting has been great up to that point, but end of 2019, I was really keen on trying out a lot of ideas that I have had since many years, and I took the opportunity to do that. And that's what, exactly when I started Nadira. But at the same time, I, start, I continued on doing consulting in the background for, or in parallel until Nadira was up and running, and that's where we are today. Excellent. And what is Nadira? Great. So Nadira is a social enterprise. So Nadira okay. in Arabic means the clean one, and it's from cleanliness. And what we're trying to do is introduce recycling and circular economy in the Middle East. Uh, unfortunately, in the Middle East, we only recycle less than 5% of our waste compared to uh, countries such as Switzerland or Germany that recycle more than 65% of their waste. And that's a huge opportunity if you equate that across the global south, not only in the Middle East. So I'm talking about Asia, Middle East, Africa, and South America. This is $100 billion of material that gets actually thrown into landfills, whereas they could have been rescued economically and then rescued from an environmental perspective. So we're very much focused on that topic and we are tackling that topic from a behavioral science perspective. And when you say you're tackling it from a behavioral science perspective, does that mean you're in the home of the consumer? You're like, what is it exactly that you're doing? Yeah, so we started in this industry back in 2017 where I was working, starting my NGOs. So I started two NGOs, one focused on solar power and distributing solar power in the region and another one focused on waste management. And we got a grant and we started learning about the industry. And what we realized, which was a very major kind of discovery, that waste mismanagement is not a mechanical issue, it's a behavioral issue. So as long as people are able to recognize recyclable items back at home, segregate them and put them in separate bins, you solve 90% of the problem. And then everything downstream of that becomes very, very easy. Municipalities or governments, they try to solve it using putting bins and assuming people are going to do it on their own. And it's not because people need a lot of nudging and a lot of personalized messages to get them to recycle. So at Nodira, we focus on doing three things. First, we make recycling fun and easy. So people are able to understand it well, not to take it as a chore, but actually enjoy it. We have an AI algorithm that allows you to take a picture and know if this item is recyclable or not. We even have a game that you can play it like a fruit ninja that you can actually put items in the right bins just to make it more fun and enjoyable. The second thing we do, which is very differentiating to Nadira, and we actually have filed our international patent on that, is we trace and we verify to know 
who's recycling and who's not. So if Ken is recycling, I would actually encourage you and let you know you've done a great job and give you a lot of incentives and a lot of rewards. If you're not recycling, we'll give you a lot of education and prompts so you're able, offline and online prompts, so you're able to know that first, we're actually looking, and then second, mm -hmm. to know how actually you can engage and, and get to recycle. And once you recycle, you get a lot of these benefits. So we close the loop on that behavioral aspect of things. That's interesting. And I guess the thing that's kind of curious to me is I would imagine that you're having to attack this problem from a lot of different angles because you're dealing with education levels and income levels across the spectrum. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, we have two products. One product that is targeting higher socioeconomic classes. It's door to door. It's bespoke and it's more discounts from big retailers. And one is targeting lower socioeconomic classes. In this one, we are offering direct cash for recyclables using the same methodology, but there it's cash for recyclables and they will come to us with their recyclable items on a digital platform. We record these transactions and we give people the cash for their recyclables. Oh, wow. So you actually are paying for trash. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. And, and we, we do it in a manner that allows us to track it and make sure that there are no leakage in the system and make sure it's done in a profitable manner and rewarding as well to the end user. That's incredible. As someone who spent time in the Middle East, I can see what a huge opportunity and problem currently exists. And you're right, it does start at the kind of behavioral level. What are some of the things that I guess you're encountering in terms of kind of like challenges or maybe resistance from your everyday consumer? As a matter of fact, can consumers are ahead of everybody else. So consumers want to recycle. So once you go and give them something easy and fun, uh, yeah. they actually latch on it very, very quickly. The difficulties we see is in getting government permits and getting okay. the right approvals for us to operate. Sometimes it's tedious and it takes a lot of time and education to the governments to explain to them what to do. But once they understand it and we start operating, they're actually very encouraging and they help us a lot to doing that. Interesting. And do you also have, I guess, collection facilities or something like that? Maybe I'm asking the wrong question, but no, a, that, that's a, like question. outside of the consumer's home. So like, yes, for absolutely. Example, like public recycling bins and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. So we have two types of facilities, facilities right outside the homes to collect these recyclable items. Uh -huh. And then another facility, which is centralized, where we take all these recyclables, we trace them and we scan the QR codes that are on the bags and we are able to know which households they came from. And then we give the rewards there on the spot or we tell people through the app that gets pushed to the user's app, telling them what mistakes they've done so they can avoid making these mistakes next time. So we have our own facilities in addition to us working with traditional collection companies on their facilities as well. So we do a lot of collaboration with such companies. We've done a study with Yale University actually in the States and they funded that study. We've taken one town and we've split it between Nadira users and non-Nadira users. And they've proven quantitatively that using technology to alter people's behaviors and get them to recycle actually works because our users got up to five out of five stars in terms of quality of sorting in a matter of 45 days, as opposed to the control group that continued on being two out of five stars, given that they were not giving these prompts and interventions. Wow. So that's it. So you're getting two things. One is you're doing good for the planet, right? That's good. And then two, you're giving meaningful kind of incentives for people across socioeconomic situations. So I would imagine that for certain groups of people, especially in the Middle East, this can have a meaningful impact on their lives from a financial perspective. 
Absolutely, especially, for example, in Lebanon right now, where we operate, we have a lot of people that are taking this as a second job. So they're actually going around and collecting recyclables, not only from their houses, to be able to get these supermarket vouchers or be able to get the hard cash so they can provide for their families. So, so definitely that has a triple kind of bottom line impact. That's incredible. And how, okay, so I know that you mentioned kind of working with NGOs, starting an NGO. I mean, how did you get the idea for this? It's a gap, Ken, that we realized that nobody was addressing. Every time you get like funding to do a waste management project, they spend years and years doing studies on infrastructure and on mechanical items, and nobody is really paying attention to the behavioral aspect of things. And once we realized the behavioral part is the most important part, then we said, look, we're going to stop doing this kind of running projects from funders, and we're going to launch this startup because we know exactly where the problem is, and we want to tackle it head on. So. And for our U.S. listeners that, okay, because it's very interesting because from a behavioral perspective, I remember as a kid going to a place to give up the cans and get the money, okay? And as an adult yeah. now, I live in a condo and we have separate bins and there's no like money exchanged or anything like that. So I guess what, what has kind of changed, at least in the U.S., that makes an opportunity still available where you are? So in the U.S., what has happened, and it's actually very interesting you mentioned that, the U.S. have done, uh, have went a bit in a reverse manner when it comes to recycling, kind of about 20 years ago for some reason. And a lot of companies were pushing for single stream waste. So you put all your waste in one place, mm -hmm. and then waste companies, they promised that they can have all the intelligent machines to take it apart and then to be able to segregate that. However, that has failed miserably. So more than a thousand facilities, like the ones I'm just explaining about, shut down in the U.S. because they couldn't handle the mixed waste. And then the European model was the more successful one, which is being applied in Canada, where I used to live, in Europe and Australia. And as you rightly mentioned, it used to happen in the U.S. and then it stopped. Just 18 months ago, or about 24 months ago, the U.S. now had restarted this campaign on recycling from source. And you can see a lot of these campaigns picking up across the country with many grants being offered to states to actually kick off a sorting from source campaign again. That's interesting because I've always been curious, which was my next question, which you inadvertently answer, which is like, yeah, but I see people in my building <laughs> putting pizza boxes in the trash and trash in the kind of uh, cardboard chute. And I always wondered, how does that kind of sort itself out? But it sounds like it doesn't in the U.S. Yeah, so not yet. However, the U.S. is wow. picking up again on recycling and sorting from source. So. Wow. Okay, got it. That's really cool. And so how long has Nadira been around? So we started officially early 2021, so about a year and a bit now. And now we're operational in Lebanon, in the United Arab Emirates, in Saudi Arabia very soon. And we're in discussion to enter other countries as well. Wow, that's really fast growth. And so the biggest kind of like challenges or opportunities for you are really kind of alignment and partnerships with different local municipalities and governments. Is that right? Absolutely, which took a lot of effort for us to establish. Now we have that established. We have 10 projects we're delivering this summer that are across all of these geographies that are very critical for our next steps. If they do get delivered on time and as per our expectations, I think that will unlock a lot of recycling across the region for us to be involved in. That's great. And Rubia, one thing that I think, and I can admit this as a former consultant myself, that I think like we missed out on in consulting because consulting is a bit academic, right? Okay, you have this great idea. 
you go to execute it. But at the end of the day, you need to sell, right? You need to sell the idea. You need to build the partnerships with those governments and different kind of, I guess, channel partners. How do you actually go about doing it? How did Nadira do it? So look, consulting is a superpower, right? Like, and I think we all have to recognize that. It has its limitations, of course, and particularly when it comes to making things happen in real life. <laughs> but the few years that you spend in consulting, learning these skills, it gives you a lot of superpowers when it comes to analyzing topics, communicating, whether verbally or uh, written, or even your visuals, because you're pitching all the time. Like I've pitched, I don't know, maybe a thousand times now. So you have to perfect these things. And that's what consulting teaches you, right? Like I built on the strength that consulting has given us. However, at the same time, it's very important to stop theorizing and get kind of roll your sleeves up and get into doing stuff, making mistakes, learning from these mistakes, and then pivoting and iterating. And that's kind of the startup mentality, if you want to call it. So using consulting skills is very, very important and very useful across the board. However, there needs to be a change in mindset that allows you to roll your sleeves up, make mistakes, kind of lick your wounds, and then do it all over again. And then you learn a lot and you grow in ways that we didn't do particularly when we worked as consultants. Did you struggle with any of the areas that you just kind of mentioned when you were kind of going out on your own? Yeah, we as consultants, we have a lot of gaps when it comes to implementation. Like we're really good in kind of structuring things and putting it together and analyzing it. But then once you start implementing, you just have to manage a team differently right now. You have to manage a different type of personalities versus consultants. They look alike pretty much in terms of kind of skills. So yes, of course, I did struggle a lot along the way, whether managing the team members or doing things in real life. And you have to be very patient when you are starting a startup. It's not like you're on an eight weeks assignment and then you finish it, you hand over the deliverables and you move on. You actually have to be very patient and you have to wait and make sure you're doing the right steps or fixing anything that didn't work well. The key thing is for you to have that open-mindedness to learn and to be able to embrace that this is not consulting anymore, it's different, and you have to learn these new skills, particularly around the startup mentality and being agile and how we do things. And what about the, I guess, ecosystem or environment in the Middle East right now as it relates to startups and venture capital and that sort of thing? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. Actually, that was when I was kind of later in my consulting days, I was working, focusing on that space, so I got to know it quite well. And the uh, vibrant ecosystem right now, it's actually super fun to be part of it because it's nascent. It's like Silicon Valley, I don't know, 20 years ago. So everything is kind of heating up. And I would even venture to say that it's much better for a startup rather than for a VC because you have a lot of money. You have a lot of people that have deep pockets that want to be part of investing in startups, yet you don't have a lot of really genuine and kind of original ideas in the region yet as much. Of course, you have a lot, but that's not in abundance. So once you go and you pitch for either an accelerator or a VC, you get a lot of attention and a lot of support, which is quite unique. So we've been very blessed in being part of like plug and play with Miss Foundation, Plastics Labs, which is a very big accelerator program here in the region, Astro Labs and MAN program, which is a social incubator. So we've done a lot of these incubation programs, very tech in Lebanon, and they helped us financially because they gave us a lot of our seed funding, but as well, they helped us on mentoring and teaching us these skills that we were talking about that we might not actually know them very well as consultants. 
And correct me if I'm wrong, Rubia, but you didn't necessarily come from a technology background, right? So I know you have petroleum engineering as a background, but how did you bridge the gap given, I guess, the tech and app focus of Nadira? Absolutely. It's a great question. And we were blessed at Nadira by having team members like our chief technology officer. He's a super cool guy. He knows his topics very well. And I just lucked out to actually have having uh, meeting him. And then he hired on other team members. And now we have five full-time developers on the team. All of them are excellent, like top-notch, and they care about the purpose and they care about the company a lot. So that has been actually a very smooth part of the journey. I think luck has a big part to do with it. And I guess speaking of team members and building kind of an all-star team, what has been the thing that seems to resonate most with the folks that you're able to get to join Nadira? As of what can can is you it? I guess what I'm maybe trying to ask is: Is it the excitement of being part of a startup? Is it the mission of solving the recycling problem in the Middle East? What's really resonating with? Uh, it's a great question because we had like a feedback session with the team and we had a discussion, and all of them consistently it's about the purpose. All of them they believe in the purpose. They like the momentum that the company is on, and they like the culture and the ethics that the company has. So. We trust each other a lot. We have a really chill kind of uh, environment. Uh, there's no like politics or pressure that is unnecessary. So that's something that everyone, it was a consensus that people actually liked at Nodira because of these reasons. That's fantastic. And the reason I was smiling is just because one of the things that I think I enjoyed most about getting out of, let's call it a bigger company, right? Is like politics tend to go away, right? <laughs> with, Absolutely. with scale. Absolutely. And, and that, that's yeah. fun. And speaking of mission, I mean, where's the company going? What's your vision for this? So we're very keen on being a brand name when it comes to introducing recycling into regions and growing and doing that. So we're focused right now on the Middle East. So we're focused on UAE, Saudi Arabia to start with, but then very soon Jordan, Egypt. So we would like to be the partners for waste haulers that are the waste collection companies and governments to bridge that gap and fill the elements on the value chain where we're basically blind spots before that focus on behavioral change using technology. So our aim is to scale and grow as fast as we can. So as I mentioned before, the projects we're doing this summer are critical. We have partnerships that are already established that are an amazing platform for us to grow from this point onwards. So I think the next six months are going to be crucial for the acceleration of our growth. Excellent. And you, and you mentioned kind of waste haulers and governments. I would imagine that call it supply chain and complexity is, is a big part of figuring out your business. Is that right? Absolutely. And that's why partnering with waste haulers is critical for us because they already have the infrastructure. So we bring in the digital platform, we bring in our engagement methods and our tracing methods, and then we plug on top of them and we're able to work seamlessly. We've done that already. So that gives us a great advantage to go to the market much quicker than trying to do it organically. Oh, wow. So then it becomes a big benefit to them as well. Absolutely. It's a big win-win situation because a lot of these haulers want to be recyclers as well. They want to be part of the new economy that is being built around circular economy. So it's a win-win situation for us to launch and for them to be able to segregate better and get access to these recyclable items. That's really neat. That's neat to think that you're also building a potential kind of like whole subculture of solopreneurs across the different regions. So that's really cool. Excellent. And then Rubia, I just kind of wanted to also ask you about what advice kind of like in general you'd have for our audience, just because a lot of the listeners are maybe in consulting, they've left consulting and gone onto their first corporate strategy job. 
and maybe they want to become an entrepreneur. What would you tell them? So a few thoughts, Ken. First of all, embrace the journey that you're in right now, okay? Irrespective if you're suffering or not, if it's a tough project or not, ultimately, all of this journey is going to end, I, I'm, I'm guessing, unless you, you want to <laughs> become, become senior partner. So embrace it because you would learn a lot. It's a lot of really cool skills. It comes, of course, with its baggage and its, its uh, difficulties, but do embrace it because it's very, very important and it does give you some kind of superpower. So that's number one. Number two is don't be lured by the money only, right? So at some point in time, if you do have a cool idea, any consultant can find work, or a good consultant can find work overnight. So don't get worried about job security and clinging into positions and titles and go after your dream. Worst case scenario, you would have learned tons of new things and then you can go back and be a consultant at any point in time. So that's something that is very important. It's a revolving door when it comes to consulting and you can come back and work as a consultant at any point in time. Uh, so these are the kind of the two things I would really stress on. And on the, I guess on the second point, it's like, okay, don't get lured by the money. What should people get lured by? I, I guess impact and success. That's what, okay. what drives me. Like for me, like when I wake up every day and tell me like, what do you want to do? I want to create impact. I want to be successful. And once you do these two things and you do it at scale, money is going to be a kind of a secondary product that's going to come out of it. And particularly consultants, like you, you will never be poor, right? Like you'll always be able to provide for yourself. So I, I think sometimes we get a bit over obsessed about our insecurities and we want to just make sure we get into one position and the other and we chase that, that dream. But it's good to kind of take a step back, look at it from, from afar and say, is this what I want to really do at this point in time? And sometimes the answer is yes, but sometimes the answer is no, let me go and try this cool idea that I have, especially with how digital technology is evolving today. And then if it doesn't work, I can always come back and become a consultant. So. Thanks for sharing that. And I also really like your first point because it's it's kind of the live in the moment kind of advice, right? Because like if mm. you're always only focused on the next thing, right, you're going to miss out on the, on the whole kind of process. So Absolutely. I think that makes Absolutely. a lot of sense. And then, Rabia, one of the things we're doing here is we're building a library of books that have had an impact on our guests' lives. So it can be anything from a children's book to a business book. But is there any book that you'd recommend to our listeners that has had an impact on your life? Yeah, look, there's a recent book I actually read that I like a lot. It's called Skin in the Game. And the title is about self-explanatory, right? It's just telling you how much important it is for you to have a skin in the game in whatever you do, whether it's a small thing or it's a more complex thing. But the nice thing about that book, it tells you a lot of anecdotes and stories of where people that have had skin in the game, how they were successful, and how when people don't have skin in the game, and sometimes consultants don't have skin in the game, right? So they end up not being very fulfilled and not being able to do what they want to do. So it's a good, for our my fellow consultants, it's a good book to read and kind of puts a perspective on things. So Excellent. It's by Nassim, Nassim Talib. We'll yeah. add it to our library. Rabia, it's been so fun having you on the show. I guess, could you share some of the, maybe the websites or the details if our listeners wanted to learn more about Nadira? Of course, of course. Nadira it can be found at nadira.org. So that's N-A-D-E-E-R-A.org. Or you can follow us on our Instagram at Nadira Tech. So same spelling as Nadira. And then T-E-C-H. would love to uh, take on any questions or any thoughts. It's really cool topic because a lot of people just 
show up, they want to volunteer, and they want to actually give advice, and they want to contribute to the cause. So if anybody has any thoughts they want to share, they're more than welcome to do so. Well, that's incredible and such an important problem that you're solving that I've had the, uh, I'd say, good fortune of seeing firsthand, and I'm excited to see the impact that you make on the region. So, Rubia, thanks so much. For our listeners that are listening for the first time, please make sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple so that you're notified of future episodes. If you're looking for transcripts of past episodes, you can visit beyondconsulting.info. And lastly, if you want to get in touch with anybody at ECA, it's going to be eca-partners.com. Rabia, thanks so much for joining us. For everyone else, we will talk to you you next week. Yeah, thanks. Thanks.